1: Good morning, everybody. I am Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister of the First Unitarian Universal Society of San Francisco, and I am joined on the chancel this morning by Reverend Laura Shenham, our minister of Congregational Life, and Sam King, one of our worship associates, and by the Reverend Angela Tyler Williams, who flew in last night from Washington, D.C., to be here with us today. Reverend Tyler Williams, as you can read in her bio, brings an enormous amount to her ministry in the world. But what we are particularly grateful for is her founding role in the creation of SACRED. SACRED, which is the spiritual alliance of communities for reproductive dignity. Our congregation, as many of you know, voted to join SACRED this year as part of our commitment to working with other communities and people of all faith traditions to support the work that includes a woman's right to bodily integrity and autonomy, but also the right to raise children in a safe and supportive environment, a full spectrum of value-based decisions about this piece of our shared life. And SACRED is helping us all to articulate together what that means and then what it means to put that in action. So you will have a taste of the spiritual and religious values and commitments that uphold that work today in the service. And afterwards, we will have a lunch that the Women's Rights Group is sponsoring where we can hear more about what Sacred is doing right now and our chance to plug into it in this important time. So thank you, Angela, for being here and all the members of the Women's Rights Group. You'll hear more and see more of them later. And thank you to the families of the two children we're dedicating today. You'll get to see more of them today, too. Thanks also to our choir, to Rako Odalane with their organ leadership and Mark Sumner and to our AV team and our ushers and to our building staff and to all of you. Welcome to worship.
2: Unfortunately, Diane Allen is sick today, so I'm standing in her place. If she were here, she would welcome our first 1st vis- time visitors to UUSF, both in person and online. She and we hope you have an order of service so you can follow along with worship. If you would like to receive a copy of our weekly email newsletter, newsletter which includes a link to the Order of Service and Sunday live stream, you can fill out one of our yellow connection forms. Those forms are on the welcome table outside, perhaps in the pew in front of you and available through the link on the Order of Service or video description of today's service. Please look at our announcements of upcoming events in the Order of Service and in our weekly flame. We'd love, you, we'd love to have you be part of them Emmanuel Class, our new manager of Young Adult Programming and Membership, is here to answer questions and get to know our existing members. Please reach out to him with your questions or ideas. Welcome.
3: In Unitarian Universalism, we light a chalice as a symbol to call into this space all of us who are part of this community near or far Wherever this hour finds you, know that you are with us, too. For those of you at home, please feel free to light your own candle or chalice if you have one. And because this time, in this time of Hanukkah, we also light our candle for that festival of lights, which in the largest sense speaks to acts of hope, taken even when the evidence is against them. In all our lives, may the light that is lit in moments of need or hope burn far beyond expectations, and may hope triumph over fear or hate or heartbreak. Please say with me the words of our chalice lighting printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
4: Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin Traveling in the world of my creation What we'll see will defy explanation If you wanna view paradise Simply look around and view it Anything you want to do it Want to change the world There's nothing to it There is no life I know To compare with pure imagination Living there you'll be free If you truly wish to be.
1: Well, Shannon Warto, no sooner do you go down than you have to come right back up, but this time joined by Will and Tess. And I also want to invite Nick and Alison and Revel to come up and stand with Laura and me so that all of the people who are here can see all of you. Rebel, please bring your banana up. I think it's important. (laughs) Symbol of the fruit of life, which we are also celebrating. In all parts of the earth, since the earliest days of recorded history, parents have brought their children at an early age to a place of worship, sharing their joy and their dedication with the wider community. We come as parents in response to the sense of awe and wonder that our children bring into our lives. And also, we come with a deep sense of obligation, possibilities, promise, beauty of it all, of
2: their lives. Children come into the world naked of body, mind, and spirit, naked of knowing, dependent, and helpless. Parents have the awesome privilege to be the guides, companions, cheerleaders, To these lives as they unfold. From your child, from you, your child will learn love, laughter, and speech. From your actions, your child will imitate movement and goodness, wisdom, courage, and openness. Parenthood is a sacred and holy calling, among the highest of all dedications we can make with and of our lives to create life to care for it with tenderness and courage, to store the development of another's mind, heart, character, and the discovery of their own calling or callings. Above above all, the power and business and ambition of the world, these lives must come. For what it will profit any of us to gain influence, riches or fame, and lose our children and their companionship. Will and Shannon, Allison and Nick, in presenting your child at this service, you affirm your commitment to their lives. Do you promise, to the best of your ability, by your example, to care for your daughters so that they may grow and develop with confidence and security, guided by your wisdom, and encouraged by you to trust their own, true to their own passions and values, Finding what endures like the deep peace of a life of integrity and service. Guided in loving, connected relationships, like those they've learned first to know and cherish from you. Do you promise to show these daughters of your family all that you know of a life that endures with joy and meaning? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs)
1: Let me ask the godparents of Rev and Tess to stand. Will sister Carrie and husband Rob, Lily and Jamie Osborne, and I know there might be some grand godbrothers here, you and Callum, if you want to stand. If you can all rise for a moment and just remain standing as we add other people to you. to the godparents members of the god families we know you have a special role a steady presence in these children's lives and you're guarantors of their safety and care you have a sacred trust to the grandparents can you please rise also To the grandparents of Rebel and Tess, you especially connect these children back through the generations to the legacy that they inherit and whose values they are called to carry forward. This is why our names often bear connection to some person our parents have loved and lost, but hope our children will carry forward the spirit of, as I think is true with both Tess Dawn and Rebel Marie. And let me ask the wider circle of family and friends to please, who are here today, to please rise also. Aunts and uncles, given and chosen friends, you too will supplement the wider circle of care and formation of these children. It's impossible for a child to be raised alone in this world. They have to know that they're caught in a web of love that will hold them firm. It's so rich for them to know that they can draw from an example of lives that make different choices about what it means to live a life of meaning that's rich. So all of you play a role in the fullness of these children's lives and care and formation. So let me ask you, all of you, Do you pledge to support these children in the ordinary days of their living with heart, but also in any extraordinary times of need, should those arise? Please say, we do. You may be seated. We will. We'll talk to each of you separately. So Will and Shannon, can you please tell us what name you give this child?
4: Tess Don Warto.
1: Tess Don Warto. With the touch of this water from Mother Nature's infinite sky, and the gift of this flower, the symbol of the unfolding of a beautiful life, we welcome you into this fellowship of all souls and dedicate your life to the, it doesn't matter what I say now, actually, because <laughs> <laughs> the service of truth and righteousness and love, words you will come to understand, with our lives dedicated to you in this journey, May you and those who love you be forever blessed, and the world blessed too, for this gift that is your life. Blessings.
2: Nick and Allison, what name do you give this child? Revel Marie Pallone. Revel Marie Palone. With the touch of this water, FROM MOTHER NATURE'S INFINITE SKY AND THE GIFT OF THIS FLOWER, (laughs) SYMBOL OF AN UNFOLDING, BEAUTIFUL LIFE, WE WELCOME YOU INTO THE FELLOWSHIP OF ALL SOULS AND DEDICATE YOUR LIFE TO THE SERVICE OF TRUTH, RIGHTEOUSNESS, AND LOVE. IT KIND OF TICKLES WHEN YOU PUT IT ON YOUR FACE, HUH? YEAH. (laughs) With our loves, with our lives dedicated to, believe, to be with you in this journey, may you and those who love you be forever blessed, and the world blessed too, and the gift that is your life. Bless. You.
1: May we present to this community, Tess Don Warto and Revel Marie Pallone. Will you please show them the jubilation and welcome that we feel?
3: now, please join me in saying the words of our unison covenant and sung doxology. The words are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
5: Good morning, my name is Rev. Angela Tyler Williams, and I am delighted to be with you today. As you have heard from Rev. Vanessa, and you'll hear a little bit more later, and you can read in your service program, SACRED is an alliance of religious leaders, congregations, movement organizations, activists, Um, and academics collaborating to advance reproductive justice through congregational education, culture change, community building, and direct service. And the core of SACRED's work is a national designation program where congregations and other faith communities engage in a process of education, reflection, and then a public commitment to reproductive justice we have created a seven-session curriculum for communities and small groups. And since March of 2022, we have hosted 14 Train the Trainer sessions for over 400 facilitators from 200 congregations in 38 states and 29 religious traditions and denominations. But just wait. I am here today to recognize you the first Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco as the second ever designated sacred congregation. In some ways, this is a long time coming. I want to particularly name Judy Strachan, Lori Lai, Louise Diskerud, as some of the very first facilitators we trained back in March and April of 2022. They facilitated the curriculum in a weekend last year in October, and you had Reverend Dr. Daniel Cantor kicking it off with a keynote. He is the minister of the First Unitarian Church of Dallas and has been a part of Sacred's work from the very beginning. After an initial small group went through the curriculum, a team from that women's rights group opened up that designation process to all of you through a series of town hall forums. And this year, on June 4th, you unanimously voted to affirm the sacred principles and commitments and to become a sacred congregation. Our plan has always been for the curriculum to serve as a discernment process, a way for the congregation to figure out where they want to get active in the movement for reproductive justice. We make spaces for folks to learn so that they are better resourced to support where they want to in places like spiritual and community care, religious education on reproductive justice, including reproductive justice in worship, like we will today, direct service to patients and supporting clinics, as well as advocacy and community organizing. If you want to learn a little bit more of those action pieces, stay for lunch and I'll talk to you about them. But for right now, I invite anyone who is in that women's rights group, if you will come on up, I have got a gift for you. Is there anyone here? If they're not here, it's because they're getting ready for this luncheon happening later. So anyone who's here, come on up, come on up. Every congregation gets a plaque that says they are a sacred congregation, that they create and hold space for courageous conversations, free from shame, judgment, and stigma. So here yeah, I would You will find in your program there is a sacred litany, so I invite you to join me in this responsive reading. We are sacred congregations who gather to lift up the most vulnerable among us. Sacred congregations stand with Black Lives Matter and all immigrant communities. We affirm the lives of the LGBTQIA community. We recognize and affirm the value of every person regardless of race, gender identity, nationality, or socioeconomic status, or disability status. We denounce the powers that be, that create divisions, which some access to what others take for granted. Sacred congregations seek to create a more just and inclusive world in which all can flourish and thrive. Our faiths teach us that we care for all, and that care includes support for people in need of reproductive care. We acknowledge all people in the U.S. and abroad who do not have full access to reproductive health care services. Sacred congregations call for a religious and moral commitment to reproductive health and justice. We commit to teaching about reproductive freedom, displaying our commitment to reproductive dignity, and creating safer spaces for reproductive care. When people are denied comprehensive abortion care, they may forgo food or shelter or pursue unsafe abortions that put their lives at risk. Sacred congregations will not be silent about reproductive dignity. We will use the word abortion. We will talk about it in our various worship services. And people in need of reproductive care will have a safer space to seek counsel. We know that protecting the rights of all requires our voice and our commitment. Sacred congregations make space for the disadvantaged to have a voice and pledge to work until all people have the reproductive health care they need and deserve. We are sacred congregations. Thank you.
3: I want you to imagine me in middle school a little bit less facial hair than you see now. I skipped a grade, so at this point I was quite small, and I also didn't have a care in the world. I work in politics now, but back then my main concern was video games. In one class we were supposed to read the news, pay attention to current events, And I barely knew that John Kerry was the presidential candidate at that time, much less anything to do about global warming or wealth inequality, the criminal justice system, or reproductive justice. But I have an older sister, seven years older, and she's always been engaged in social justice work of all sorts. And one day when she was driving me home, she gave me the talk. (laughs) You know, the pro-choice talk. I don't remember any of the details. I think I was at that age where my response was probably one word, "Okay." But because of that conversation, even before I really knew what a Democrat or Republican was, my first political philosophy was as a feminist. This part of my relationship with my sister wasn't a one-off. She's a queer woman of color, so she would also tell me about LGBTQ rights, about racial justice, and other issues. She invited me to events like queer proms and the vagina monologues. She gave me books like the new Jim Crow. And it wasn't always social justice related either. We would also just play games together or go to concerts, eat food. We still do all of those things because all of them are part of our relationship with each other. And those things might all seem different, spending fun time together versus racial justice, LGBTQ rights, reproductive justice. But to me, they weren't different. It's not just that all oppressions are interconnected. It's not just the Emma Goldman quote that if I can't dance, I don't want to be part of your revolution. But to me, all of that was related to my relationship with my sister the fun stuff and the heavy stuff, justice for one group of people and for another. I think in UU circles, we often spend a lot of time in our heads, and when we're thinking about things like reproductive justice, we think about all the rational reasons why it's important for people to have autonomy over their bodies, or the historical reasons, were arguments and rebuttals to people who have behaved hypocritically or inconsistently. But the thing that brought me to support reproductive justice wasn't any rational reason, though there are many. The original reason I supported reproductive justice was human connection, my relationship with my sister. There's a lot of ways to do justice work, but I try to follow the example that my sister set not leading with numbers and documentaries, but instead focusing on my relationship with another person, caring for them, dancing with them, being invested in their life, respecting their inherent worth and dignity even if they don't know all that much about politics, and at some point, being vulnerable with them, sharing my values and what's important to me and why I care. Not just because of how many people are affected, but because of how I'm affected. Not asking somebody to support a movement, but asking them to support me.
5: to you today as a pastor ordained in the Presbyterian Church. And I know we are in a UU space, and so we are not going to confine ourselves to one particular tradition, but I share this reading from my tradition in a time of the year that we call Advent, four weeks leading up to Christmas where we celebrate the birth of Christ. And so I bring to you a reading from Luke Chapter 1, verses 26 to 56, when we learn a little bit about the story of Mary, mother of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, or young woman, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, "'Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you.' But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of gathering this greeting this might be. The angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. "'And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son.'" The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born of you will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and is in the sixth month for her who was said to be barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked down with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of God. For the people of God.
1: And now this morning's offering, which makes possible our time with Angela this Sunday and the larger work of Sacred will be both given and gratefully received.
5: to Judy Strachan, Louise Diskarud, Lori Lai, Reverend Vanessa Southern, and the entire First Unitarian Universalist of Society of San Francisco for inviting me to be with you in worship this week. I'm grateful for the opportunity and for the fellowship, and I look forward to exploring our text together and sharing with you a little bit more about Sacred, our work, and how you might be a part of it. Before we begin, I do want to name that we will be talking about pregnancy in this sermon, and if that is a sensitive topic for you right now, I invite you to take care of yourself, and if you need to step out, please do. As you've heard already, SACRED is an alliance. We're a multi-faith, multi-racial, national alliance of folks working for reproductive justice. We ground our work in a vision that in a sacred world, religious communities shift the culture to make reproductive justice a lived reality. Our mission is to create and equip a network of spiritual communities with liberative religious education and practices that shift our culture to advance reproductive justice. We affirm bodily autonomy and moral agency, We celebrate healthy sexuality, and we advocate for reproductive dignity to support the flourishing of all people and families. Now, when I say reproductive justice, I want you to be clear what I mean. The reproductive justice framework was developed by 12 Black and Indigenous women in Chicago in 1994, who recognized that a narrow focus on health or rights was not enough to meet the needs of their communities. What good is a right to choice if people couldn't access the care that they needed? If they didn't have reliable transportation to get to a clinic, if they didn't have childcare to take care of the children they already had while they were going to their appointments? if they really wanted to continue a pregnancy but knew that the job that they had wasn't gonna pay enough to feed another mouth. The founding mothers of reproductive justice define it with the following four tenets. The human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy. The human right to have children. The human right not to have children. And the human right to parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. This framework is broad, it's intersectional. It combines human rights, social justice, and reproductive rights all through the lens of black feminism. It shows me that all of our causes for justice are interconnected and fit in some way under that reproductive justice umbrella. And as you know, this work is crucial at a time like this because we are up against a coordinated 40-year campaign that has co-opted a very narrow understanding of Christianity and weaponized it to build conservative right-wing political power. This power is rooted in control, patriarchy, sexism, racism, and domination. It takes a narrow interpretation of my tradition, Christianity, and uses it to manipulate culture and public policy to apply that particular understanding onto our entire country of 300 million people who have different beliefs, different values, religions, and cultures that we bring to our pluralistic democracy. Because we are clear where the attacks on democracy, bodily autonomy, family and communal values and justice come from, it is essential that we address these arguments and talking points head on. It is imperative that justice-minded people of faith and conscience do not give up the moral high ground to these particular actors operating in bad faith. That's why Sacred's work is primarily in culture change. We know that a majority of many people of faith from a variety of traditions across this country believe that abortion should be legal in all or most cases, but that's not the story that we hear in the culture. Sacred is multi-faith, multi-racial group, and I come to you today as Angela a pastor born, raised, and ordained in the Presbyterian Church, USA. I share part of my wisdom from my tradition and how it is applicable to all of us working for justice in the United States, especially as we are in this season of Advent. And so I bring this lens of reproductive justice to my reading of the sacred text like the story of Mary and how she comes to be the mother of God. I also need to give credit to our good partners at Soulforce and Reverend Alba Onofrio. They've created a resource called Mary's Choice, a new model for biblical womanhood that has greatly informed this sermon. So let's dive in. I imagine you have an image of Mary in your mind even if you don't consider yourself a christian and never have she probably has light skin brown hair is wearing blue holding a sweet tender mild baby jesus in art she is often depicted with her head bowed eyes down which shows her quiet pious Meek and mild, sexually pure, virgin mother. Her virginity redeems her womanness, and she has been held up as a model for biblical motherhood, shaming women across the ages if they do not live up to this just example. But I invite us to take another look at Mary and this story from Luke. Let's see where we can see glimpses of good news, justice, and liberation to apply to our lives today as we read the story through that lens of reproductive justice. The story I read earlier is in three parts. The Annunciation, when Gabriel comes to Mary. The Visitation, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And then the Magnificat. Mary's song of praise. The story opens and places Gabriel, God's angel messenger sent to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, far from the center of power, Jerusalem. Nazareth is a backwater place in the middle of nowhere. So what is God up to sending an angel over there? The text identifies the subject of our story as a virgin, which, as we know, has some sexual overtones, but that's a translation choice. The word really means young, unmarried woman or virgin, but it's clear that translators made an interpretation decision by focusing on the sexual status of the young woman. I might ask, what does that have to say about our translators more than it says about Mary in this moment? But that's another time. We learn that she is engaged to Joseph of David, which is an important connection. David was the king of Israel many, many, many generations before. His story is told in the Hebrew Bible. And similar to Mary, David was an unexpected choice as he was the youngest of seven sons and simply a shepherd when he was anointed to be a king. We finally hear Mary's name when Gabriel greets her. Mary is a young, unmarried, but connected to a man, Joseph, Jewish woman in the Middle East, and Gabriel, messenger of God, comes to Mary directly. Gabriel does not come to Joseph. Gabriel does not come to Mary's father, who would be the men in charge of her. He comes to Mary because she can speak for herself. She can decide for herself how to respond to this message from God. At first, Mary is perplexed. Who is this? Gabriel, why are they here? What could they possibly want with me? Gabriel, like other angels, urges her not to be afraid, even though this is probably the most terrifying moment of her life. Okay, okay, Gabriel. But he's clear with her. His presence is not to be coercive. It's not about punishment. He says, Mary, you have found favor with God. He goes on to tell her that she will carry Jesus in her womb. He will be a king over her people. Now, this is some startling news, okay? We're in backwater. She's not connected to a man. I'm. There's a king? Like, I'm not connected to anybody. Can't, ha, what? What? Big questions, big questions. Um, And and Mary is not ignorant to the ways of the world. She knows how women become pregnant. Her mama gave her the birds and the bees talk. She knows how this happens. And she knows, she's got some questions, naturally. And what does Gabriel do? Gabriel does not chastise her for questions or doubts. Gabriel takes her seriously, gives her the information she's asking for, and then gave her someone else to talk to. You see, Elizabeth, her cousin, has also had a divine encounter to become pregnant. Gabriel offers Mary a connection, but Mary makes the decision all on her own. She doesn't consult her father. She doesn't Talk to Joseph or a priest or anyone else, in her own heart and of her own free will, she gives her consent. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Mary said, yes. But this yes was not without a risk. Again, she is young unmarried Jewish woman living under occupation in a small town. It is possible that Joseph would not want to marry her anymore. She could be socially shunned. She might not have access to the economic resources needed to care for herself and her child. And still she said yes. I was talking about this passage with a group of pastors in Texas a few years ago. And they asked me some really good questions. What if Gabriel went to other women before he came to Mary? What if there were others who said, no, this was simply too much to bear? How many no's did Gabriel and God receive before they got Mary's yes? Mary commits to this pregnancy and quickly travels to see Elizabeth, who has had a divine intervention in her reproductive life. It is Elizabeth and the baby who will become John the Baptist who are the first to recognize Mary as the mother of God. I see a clue of Mary's faith and why she said yes through her song of praise, the Magnificat. Mary knows that God looks with favor on those that society dismisses. Her God scatters the proud, brings the powerful down from their thrones, lifts up the lowly, fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. Even if she loses everything, she knows that God is with those who have lost everything. She stands in her power and in her agency. Mary knows who she is, Mary knows who God is, and yes, Mary knows what she has been called to do. So how is this good news for us here and now? The story shows divine showing up in unexpected places, not with curses of damnation, but with offers of blessing and open conversation. The divine does not heap shame, judgment, and stigma upon this unconventional reproductive story, but enables the miracle after trusting Mary to make her decision and waiting for her yes. I want to be clear that even though God favors Mary and she becomes pregnant, and God enables Elizabeth to be pregnant in her old age in the geriatric pregnancy world, as our doctors like to call it, that does not mean that infertility, miscarriages, or fetal anomalies are punishments from God or signs of disfavor. What Mary's song teaches us is that the divine is with those in their misfortune, in their grief, and their sorrow, in their long times of waiting. And we can listen to where people are and join them wherever they are on their reproductive journey. As we make reproductive decisions throughout our life, we can be comforted by Mary's story knowing that we have what we need to make those decisions for ourselves. We can be trusted to know our needs and desires for our lives, our families, and our futures. How might the world be different if more of us heard this interpretation of this story? Perhaps we could extend compassion and empathy to others in our lives who are making decisions to parent or not to parent. Perhaps we could show practical support like Elizabeth and welcome people into our home as a way to give support during their pregnancy. This is the kind of work that sacred congregations engage in regularly we have recognized you, First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco, as the second group to join sacred congregations. You have already engaged in this process of education, reflection, and public commitment to reproductive justice. But this designation celebration is only halfway through the process of being a sacred congregation. You've learned, studied, made commitments, and now is the time to live out those commitments through action. As I was talking to your leaders, they were like, when do we get to act? I'm ready to do things. Now's the time. (laughs) You get to live these values publicly through pastoral and spiritual care, including reproductive justice in worship or educational offerings providing direct support to people in your community who need reproductive health care, and participating in political organizing and advocacy work. In talking with your leaders, they have already identified some key partnerships with Planned Parenthood of Northern California and Access RJ, so you can connect directly with patients seeking care in abortion clinics. Lori Lai shared with me in our conversation that Even though California is a high-access state, there are only 48% of the counties in California that actually have a clinic. And and so the question continues to be, how accessible is abortion care in a high-access state if people still have to travel up to or over 100 miles to get the care that they need? What about within your own community? How can you better support families and children in your midst? You made a promise to two young ones today. How can you continue to love and support them and care for their families, as this is one of the hardest times to raise a family in this world and in our lifetime? What do you need here and now for more flourishing? Again, I'll be talking more about these potential action steps after the service at the luncheon, and so I invite you to join me for more discussion. At Sacred, we say everyone has a reproductive story, even if they haven't parented children, and everyone has a faith story, even if they don't belong to a particular congregation. What we do is we create and hold space for people to weave together these faith and reproductive stories free from shame, judgment, and stigma. This morning, we've taken another look at the story of Mary, the mother of God, holding it up for deeper learning and understanding. We've heard Sam share part of his faith and reproductive story with all of us. Later in Mary's story, after she has given birth to Jesus and received visitors, the text says she treasured these words in her heart and pondered them. May we take some time here and now to ponder these words in our own heart. What questions, curiosities, aha moments are you holding in this moment? How does this story relate to your own faith and reproductive story. Where in your body do you carry these stories? I invite us to take a moment of silence, to breathe, connect with ourselves, and ponder these words.
1: One way to look at the entire journey of a life of faith and growing a soul, especially as the universalist part of Unitarian Universalist is asking, what does large love ask of us in this moment in our lives and the world? And how do we answer what that asks of us? So in that spirit, let's sing, rise, embody your spirit as you're able, and let's sing together the hymn that's printed in your order of service. The words are printed. It used to be standing on the side of love, but the words have been rewritten to make it less ableist, which is also part of answering, asking and answering that question of what does love ask of us. So I invite you to rise as you're able, and let's sing together.
0: of the spirit See
5: we have come together we have blessed we have sung we have prayed we have listened and now it is time to answer the call of love so may you go out with the blessing of the divine who loves you just as you are who holds you in your faith and your reproductive story all along your journey and says, you have what it takes. Trust yourself. Know yourself. You've got this. Go with love. Go with light. Go with hope. Go with peace.